0: Amen. What's up, guys? Savannah, my wife, leaned over and said, "We can do that." So there you go. Consider us uh, consider us volen volunteered. Uh, man, super excited to, to to be with you guys this morning. If this is either your first time here, maybe you've been here for a couple weeks. We're going through a series called Rooted. In essence. What we're doing is we're breaking down uh, Romans chapter 12 and we're, we're breaking down these little sections that Paul writes to the church to talk about how we're called to be rooted in God's presence, called to be rooted uh, just in that intimate space with him. We're called to be rooted in knowing who he's gifted us and called us to be to be rooted in our stories, and our testimonies, and in community. And so uh, I talked to John a little bit this week, and he said that there's roughly 150 or so uh, of our church that are actually involved in these rooted groups, which is huge. Like, that's a big deal, right? Like, we were hoping uh, to get most of our church involved, and to have about half of them or so is amazing. And as I sat with our group uh, last week, we were sitting there, and, and just the idea... That when we're in these small groups, when we're in your home and you guys are breaking bread and sharing a meal together and opening up God's word and spending time praying, if you look at scripture, that is the most like accurate, tangible picture of what church really is. Like this right here is super important. We're not gonna do away with with the, the Sunday morning stuff because something about coming together and joining together in worship is super important. But when you guys are in a home together, And when you're sharing a meal and when you are on a deep level integrated into each other's lives, that is what church looks like. And we're going to talk uh, a lot this morning about what that looks like in in this passage in Romans. Um, But I want to share one more picture of even what that looks like. One, we do that here at Grace in our rooted groups and grace groups. But this past week, I've got the uh, opportunity, I serve on staff with NG3. We do character development and discipleship stuff in high schools. And just this week, two kids that we've been walking with for, uh, one of them for over a year now, prayed to surrender to Jesus. Uh, These are two high school kids, yeah, both football and basketball players at the high school. And one of them, he's been walking with one of my volunteers now for a little over a year, and he texted me Thursday night, and he's like, man, Des laid it down uh, this evening. He said in the process of that, though, uh, he began to to open up and share how he's been homeless for the last while. Uh, He's been basically bouncing from couch to couch and had nowhere to live because there was a situation, a family member had something in the uh, the place where they live I and mean, it's not even a I wouldn't even say a house or an apartment it's just this this awful sad place where he was from but uh, a family member had something in the house it got raided uh, the city had to come and do some things and basically dubbed it um, just in, in uninhabitable uh, and so they got kicked out and so he's been floating around and so my leader is with this kid and he says man I' just so desperately wanting to follow. Jesus, And then he opens up about having nowhere to go. And without even questioning it, he said, I didn't even ask my wife first. I just assumed she'd be on board. He said, you're coming to live with us. And so this family uh, has invited this kid in. He said, you're going to sleep under my roof. Uh, I'm going to give you your own room. I'm going to give you your own bed. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. And I thought, my gosh, man, like Thursday night when I got this stuff, I was like, man, Satan got kicked in the freaking teeth tonight because he lost one. And then not only that, but now that kid has been joined to a family. He's got somebody who says, man, you're, you're one of mine now. And in that night, this kid gets this picture of, yes, now you were adopted into the family of God. You are a, a son now of the Most High, but in the same sense, not legally, but somewhat gets adopted into this family to say, man, you have somewhere safe. You've got somewhere to lay your head, and my volunteers texted me yesterday, and they were out shopping, buying some clothes at Marshall's Forum just so we had some, some, some nicer clothes and some things to wear, and uh, he texted me and said, hey, could you find uh, a Miami Heat bed set? I told him, I said, you can design your room, whatever you want. He said, I've never gotten to do that before. He said, well, what do you want? He said, I just want Miami Heat basketball uh, comforter and stuff. So we, had, we got that taken care of and, and ordered for him, and so I just was so fired up. One, to see this take place with our students, but no, but that's the same type of stuff that we are so eager as a church to see you guys get involved with in your communities, and in your small groups, and in your grace groups. So when the scripture says that there was a need that arose and we just sold stuff to liquidate, to have funds, to take care of other people, we'd actually see that get done. Now, we wouldn't just read this and be like, man, that was, that's a cute thing that they did back in Acts. No, no, that is the call of the church It's to, to join together and to come together as one to take care of the needs and to encourage each other and share meals and, and to do life. And so if you're not in a rooted group, there's your sales pitch. You guys need to get in a rooted group. I want to pray this morning for us. And, and if you're willing and able, I just invite you to, to, to join me on your knees this morning as we... Uh, Just go before the Lord and ask him to come into this space. Father, we, we join you in this moment, God, as the angels and we're just saying the elders around your throne they're they're casting their crowns off their head and throwing it at your feet and they're they're crying holy 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 it's the lord god almighty you are worthy of our praise you are worthy of our attention you're worthy of our focus and holy spirit we invite you into this place to come and move and have your being to stir within us may your presence may your power be felt and heard God, I yield to you. May my tongue only utter that which you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Feels a little Catholic, didn't it? A little ups and a little downs. When I was growing up as a kid, my family, uh, I've got two brothers and two sisters, and my whole dad's side of the family lived down in Noonan, Georgia. And So we would, uh, the week of Christmas, a couple days before, we'd all pack up in the, the minivan at the time, and we'd drive on down to Noonan, Georgia to, to spend time with my family and uh, aunts and uncle and, and, and cousins and everybody was down there. And So we'd just spend this day. We'd, we'd spend time with my grandparents, and we'd eat, and we'd play in the yard as kids, and we would open up gifts. And one year, my my middle brother, he was about four or five years old at the time, which is the age where you're old enough to talk, but you're young enough to not be trusted with anything that comes out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all got young ones in the house. It's like something could come out that's super, super sweet, or it could be just devastatingly inappropriate all at the same time. And so my my little brother, we're opening up gifts, and he's got this huge gift uh, wrapped in the room. And, and so he, he goes and he opens it up, and it's this, like, super bougie Play-Doh set. Like, it's got, like, this, the table, all the Play-Dohs, and these chairs that go around it, and the cookie cutter things, and these cranks for the Play-Doh. Like, it is this immaculate Play-Doh set that my grandparents had, had gone. I thought, man, he's going to love this. So my brother opens it up, and he, and he sees it sitting there in the living room, and he stops, and he looks at it, and he goes, this is exactly what I did not want for Christmas. And, like, my parents are like, oh, no way did he just say that, and they're apologizing, they're like, I'm so sorry. He didn't, maybe he meant it, but he didn't know what he's saying, you know, and I got to start apologizing for this, but just the, the feeling of the parent of, like, ah, oh, or is the grandparents thinking, gosh, I went such great lengths, hoping that you would love and use this gift, and there's this, obviously, this little prick of, of devastation when you hear that. And I tell that story to tee to, to up where we're going to go today because I think so often that when we potentially either realize or receive the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, that at times we may receive those gifts and we may say, oh, God, this is who you, you've created me to be. And we're like, well, what do you want from my life? And he says, this is who I've called you to be. And we get the gifts and we think, ah, oh, this, is, this is not the gift that I was hoping for yeah, like, man, I, I, I've been praying and hoping, like, Lord, what, what's the unique calling? And then it's to, to either be generous or to have a prophetic word for people, and we can get these gifts and think, gosh, man, I wish you'd have given that to somebody else. It's exactly the gift that I did not want. And so we get to a place in our rooted journey here in Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 4. If you need a Bible, uh, go ahead, and if you don't have one, I would say slip your hands up. Uh, We've got some folks walking around, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that with you and then look at your neighbor who hopefully tithes and say, hey, thanks for the Bible, because that was paid for by them. (laughs) Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Paul says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do so cheerfully. If you're taking notes this morning, two main points we're going to talk about. Number one, you are a part of a body. Say that one more time. You are a part of a body. The second thing this morning is you have a part to play in the body. First thing, you have a part, you are a part of the body. If you'll flip back just a little bit to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, this is right before Jesus is about to be arrested and eventually crucified, and he's been with his disciples and, and he's had the last supper and he's washed their feet and he spends this time, this, this back part of John 15, 16, 17, and he, he's kind of, he's given the disciples his last words. And you can imagine somebody on their deathbed, they know they're about to die and they're laying there and they're thinking, gosh, this is, if I could give you anything before I go, this is what I want you to know. If I can give you one last thing to cling to of great importance, this is what it is. And Jesus, he, he begins to pray something right before he's arrested and he says it over and over and over, multiple times. And in scripture often, repetition uh, equals importance. And so in John chapter 17, verse 11, is the first time we see this where Jesus prays. Verse 11, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Everybody say One. Verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, being the disciples. He said, But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be you and I. That all of them may be, everybody say one. Just as the Father, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be on us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus begins to pray here in peace, pleading with the Father. Right before he's to be arrested, he prays over and over that, God, I pray that the disciples and I pray that those who will come to know who I am through their testimony, that would be you and I in this room. We are here today because the gospel bursted out of Jerusalem and made its way to Monroe. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm praying so earnestly and desperately that they would be one as you and I are one. As Jesus would pray, and he says, I, I don't say or do anything on my own. I only say and do that which the Father says and, and does through me. And, and Jesus was God wrapped in flesh. He was literally God in human form. And he says, as we are one, my prayers earnestly, over and over, God, help them, help the followers who will who, who come for, from generations after me to be unified in community in one Together, Why is that so important? He said, because it's through this that they will know that I've been sent from you. We read that and we think, what? You mean to tell me that the way that the world, the way that our community, the way that our family, the way that people are going to know who Jesus is and that he was actually sent from God to us, for us, is through unity? You mean to tell me it's not through our five-step discipleship program that we've slaved over for the last couple years? You mean it's not our tribulation trail during Halloween that we scare some people into Jesus? Hello, somebody. <laughs> you mean it's not through just trying to convince somebody that they need to pray this prayer and dunk them in a tank of water and say, hey, man, you're good to go, that that's how we tell people about Jesus? Jesus, you're, you're, you're missing something. We've got these systems in place. We know how to tell people who you really are and who you're from. And Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. The way that this world will know who I am and who I have come from is by the unity that is joined between them. Paul will call that the body. It is being joined together into a body. And somehow there is this supernatural thing that takes place where the world will look and begin to think, what is going on with those people? How, why do they care so much about each other? Realizing that there is power that is in unity. He, he, Paul's writing, he says that if you guys will be rooted in community as followers of Jesus, if you will root yourself together, join together into a body that is unified and working together, that there is power that takes place when that happens. That when we join together and unite together, the world will look and see there's something different about those people. There's something different about who they are, that in our interests and in our hobbies and in our personality types and especially in the giftings of the Holy Spirit that have been given to us, which we'll talk more about here in a minute, that when those things are weaved together... When they are joined together, arm to torso, ear to head, as a body is formed, that there is massive power that begins to take place. Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, he says, And that you are also living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So Paul will write that, that followers of Jesus, you guys are no longer, uh, you're not solo. This is not you on your own. I think the church so often, is we, we come to follow Jesus and we put so much emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus. It's all about your personal relationship with Jesus. And hear me say, yes, that is absolutely vital that we have a personal relationship. Uh, We are seeking the presence and intimacy of God on our own. But scripture will go on to expand and say, yeah, but it's not just about you. It's not just about you coming to know Jesus and then you retreating into your home and saying, man, I don't want anybody to really know, but I'm working on my personal relationship with Jesus. Paul says, no, you're a body. And Peter will write not only that, but you're like these stones, you're like these little Lincoln logs that are being built on top of each other and joined together to form the temple. This is a little, little interactive time here. What was the purpose of the temple? What was the purpose of the temple when it was constructed? Sacrifices, Sacrifices what? It was where the presence of God dwelt. Right, so the, so the the temple was constructed. When the temple was constructed, the presence of God flooded that place, and that is where God Himself and the depth and the power and the intimacy uh, intimacy of His presence. And so what Peter's expanding on, he's saying not just are you being joined into a body that can be mobilized, but you guys are also being joined and formed into a spiritual temple to where the Holy Spirit can come and move and dwell and have his being. And when that takes place, watch out for what can happen and the power that God's people are able and capable to partake in. Paul said, you guys have got to get this. You've got to see that you are a part of a larger body. You've got to see that it's not just about you. You've got to see that there's more to it than just you. And we think, okay, the ones I like, right? Yep. And the ones that drive you stinking crazy. It it, it would be uh, very common, the world would look and say, yeah, it's common for you to be joined together and to hang out and spend time with and a joint community around those of the same interest. But it's easy to say, well, their interests are are similar to mine, their personality types are similar to mine, we we like to do the same thing, so yeah, man, we'll go spend time together. I like to fish, we'll go fish. You like to paint. Let's go paint. You, you like to go hunt? Like we'll go, like whatever that would be, it's like the world would look and say, yeah, that makes sense that, that, that people who are similar will join together. Now, what happens when you take the person who likes to paint and the person who likes to hunt and says, now you guys go spend time in a car together? Right? We think, like, we don't have anything in common, so I don't want to necessarily be joined in community to them. And what Paul and what Jesus begged and pleaded the Father for right at the end, he says, yes, but let even those ones who are so different, Let those ones who even might bug you a little bit. What would it look like, body? What would it look like, church, when differences come together? At that place, the world will begin to look in on the church and say, now that's something different. That looks strange. That is different than what we see. The world can comprehend the fact that there are so many differences that would join together and say, we might have different interests, but we are joined together under the common good of realizing that we need each other. I need Craig Craig needs Jess, Jess needs Todd, Todd needs Grace, like we need each other. We are so uniquely and differently crafted and created, and if we were all the same, if we all had the same interests and hobbies, and we were the same person, the same giftings, we'd walk around like Mike Wazowski. We'd be like one big head and a single eye, and we'd look really weird. It would be awkward, he says, don't you know that I've gifted you so uniquely? have gifted you to be joined into a body and so we see one of the greatest attacks on the church I would say even over the last two or three years is just this wedge of disunity that has been bred inside the church we've seen political disunity We've seen racial disunity and disunity over pandemics and we've seen sexual disunity and we've just seen all of this disunity that has been weaving itself into the church and it drives a wedge in between God's people. We say, well, because you're not like me, because you don't agree with what I agree with, we're not going to have place together. Because you don't want to come to my side, and I'm not willing to come to your side, then this divide has taken place in the church, which I believe has been crippling and paralyzing to seeing the church really have great movement and impact in our families, in our places of work, and in our communities. It is no surprise that Satan realizes that Jesus prayed, God, they will, they, they will know that I've been sent from the Father if they're unified. Satan doesn't want anybody, he doesn't want the world to know who Jesus is. If he can keep us stagnant, if he can keep us passive, if he can keep us ignorant to who Jesus is, then his kingdom is winning and progressing. So in the church, then, a group of people who says, no, we are about coming together. We are about worshiping Jesus. We are about being a body. It should be no surprise to us when these wedges of disunity and division start coming in. And if we're not careful, we begin to think, well, that's just the way culture's going. That's just the way things go. We divide and we split and we'll start different denominations. And I'll go to that church and you go to that church. And the body begins to split and crumble and Satan begins to win. Because he knows that the moment we join together, deeply empowered and gifted with the Holy Spirit, join together in community, that we begin to wreak havoc and we begin to rattle the gates of hell of his weak empire that he wants to establish here on earth. His empire has got a limit on it. There is a day that will come when the empire that Satan wants to build will be obliterated and shattered. Jesus is coming back to rule once and for all. So he's got limited time. So he thinks, gosh, man, I've got to hurry and I've got to scramble. I've got to do whatever I can to separate these people so that the unity is immobilized and the body can't move. And I've got to try to paralyze. And if we would see that as a church to say, I recognize this attack. I will refuse to allow any kind of disunity, whether, again, that be political or racial or social disunity, I am going to pray against that in the name of Jesus because that is the way, that the only way, and one of the main ways that he wants to come in and try to disrupt and paralyze us. And what would it look like, guys, for us to say, no, I, I, I don't care our differences, I don't care the way that, that you talk or act or the interest is say, I recognize so deeply that we need each other. We are different for a good reason. We need to be different. We need to recognize that we're not all arms and legs and we're not all ones who serve or teach or lead or speak prophetically. Like they're different. But when those differences are joined together, knit together in community, we begin to see the gates of hell rattle and make a push against his kingdom here on earth. Second thing we see is that you have a part to play now in the body. I want to go back to John for just a second. Let's go to John uh, 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7 says, But very truly I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to read that one more time. But very truly I tell you that it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, we see this just weird paradigm shift that Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, guys, I know you've been with me for three and a half years. I know you have seen wild things take place. You have seen miracles that your your, your finite mind will never be able to fully understand or comprehend. And now I'm telling you, in this moment, it's actually better for you if I leave. You can imagine the disciples sitting there thinking, how in the world could it ever be better for you not to be with us? You were God wrapped in flesh. How could we ever understand that it's actually somehow better for you to be gone? Gosh, Jesus, you are so, so missing things. If you only understood what we know, you would know that it's better if you stay. How often do we tell those things to God? If you only knew what was best, you would... You would listen to us. How is it that Jesus could make this claim that it was better for him to leave? Tony Evans asked and answers his own question by saying, "What is it about Jesus' leaving that makes us better off with the Holy Spirit and not the physical presence of Christ?" He answered by saying that when Jesus was on Earth, he was li- he had a, sorry when Jesus was on Earth, he limited his activity to the location of his humanity. Jesus never traveled more than 300 miles from the place of his birth, so his activity was limited to the physical scope of his location. He, In essence, in that is saying, he's like, when Jesus was here on earth, from the place he was born, he never traveled more than 300 miles outside of that radius. That is the place to where he did ministry. And so when Jesus tells the disciples, guys, it's actually better for me to go because when I go up there, I will send down there the presence that is within me. And he's telling his disciples, as long as I am here, the presence of God, the spirit of God, God himself is in me. So wherever I go, God is there. Whoever I speak to, I am speaking from the voice in the mouth of God. I am God in flesh. And it was limited... It was limited to the physical ability and the scope of which he had to travel. So he says, when I go up there, the scripture says that the same spirit that resided in Jesus and raised him from the dead now dwells inside of us, those who are followers of Jesus. So he says, when I go up there, I'm going to send down there the ability to immediately have my presence, have my power, have my tongue, have my hands have my ears, have my eyes, everything immediately multiplied across the world. And we think, yeah, but but wouldn't it still be better if you were here? And he says, no, it's better if I go because if you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will walk with me, my presence and spirit is now in you. And now, no matter if you're walking through the grocery store, if you're in the gym, if you're in a meeting, if you're laying in your house, the presence of God is there. Jesus says, I'm going to go so that I can multiply and and, and boom and spread. How's it better that you leave us? Because if you follow me and you trust me, I will deposit as a gift the Holy Spirit inside of you so that the same power. Jesus says, you guys are going to do greater things than even I did. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So who does God give the manifestation of the Spirit to? To everyone who follows Jesus. Why? For the common good of all of us. The common good of who? Every single one that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Jesus said, I am going so that the Spirit may come. And Paul says that the manifestation of the Spirit has been given to all of us for the common good, drawing back in the importance of unity and community. That I'm going to deposit this power inside of you. The compiled list of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 of the spiritual gifts is this. God has created many of us to be prophesied, to have the ability to prophesy, for serving, for teaching, encouragement, generosity, leading, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, distinguishing between spirits, speaking different kinds of tongues or interpreting tongues. That last one makes us squirm sometimes. And we realize that community is so important because when community is joined with the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, miraculous and powerful things begin to take place. But yet the danger... And the reality is, is that when we either receive or understand for the first time, or maybe we've known for a while, this is who God has gifted me to be. He's gifted me to be a person of generosity. He's gifted me to be one who serves. He's gifted me to give prophetic words to give to people. He's gifted me to pray in tongues or to lay hands, and God's given me a gift of healing. When we discover and realize what those gifts are, and when we take those things and think, gosh, this is not what I wanted, I don't know how to use it. We put it on the shelf. What happens is we begin to then paralyze, as I've said, the ability for the body to have real growth and movement. And and so as a church, we will begin to think, gosh, man, I just wish the body was doing more. I wish the body would just do more. There's, There's all these needs. There's all this brokenness. There's so many things that this world needs. I wish the church, I wish the body would just do something about it. We've got to realize that when a body part ceases to operate the way it was created to, pain begins to set in. And when pain and discomfort sets in, compromise is made, excuses are made, and then apathy begins to set in. And in extreme cases, once apathy sets in for too long, amputation might be necessary. We realize it's the same thing that the church is looking and saying gosh why why is something not taking place and when the body stops operating in the way it was intended to then there begins to be paralysis. And when there's paralysis and we'll begin to compromise, we might lean on one part of the body more than the other because the other is inactive. And that part that is inactive, muscle atrophy sets in. And then there's there's no strength and there's no ability to walk on it. And we potentially have to amputate those limbs. And then we look and think, church, why aren't we doing something? Because we've cut the legs off because we were afraid. We've cut the legs off because we didn't want to use what God's gifted us to do. When we sit passively, whether that's intentionally, ignorantly, or deliberately, with the giftings of God, when the Spirit came inside of us as followers of Jesus, you have been uniquely called to play a special role in the body. And when that does not take place, when unity in the power of the Spirit does not take place, we paralyze real movement and growth from taking place. So we want to encourage you this week, Maybe for the first time is to discover what those gifts are. Our rooted journey is going to walk through many different steps. Peter did an amazing job for this week setting up the content for you guys to help discover who God has created you to be. And once we discover and we learn the name that God calls us and we discover the giftings that he has given us, once we begin to step into those things, it is in those moments of living out who God has called us to be that there is this closeness and oneness in the presence of God that is not or is felt in those moments like no other time. I can tell you as testimony standing here, there are moments where I know God has called me into uh, certain giftings, and it's in those places of operating in those giftings that I'm like, God, there's the, 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 I just desire to be back in those places because I feel your spirit is so one with my soul, and why is that? And he's saying, because you're fully alive, you're fully living, because it is not you on your own strength that is doing that, but the Spirit is manifesting himself through you in the way that you are uniquely created. And it's in those times you think, gosh, Lord, your, your presence was there. What was so different about that? He's saying, because you were living, you were operating exactly who I've called you to be. And it's in that place of stepping into exactly who God has called us to be that we feel closest to him because we're not trying to operate in who we're now. We're operating in who we were created to be. And I recognize for a lot of us, we, we think, yes, okay, I, I, I want to discover, I have discovered, but but now my hold up is, like, how do I get to the place of using that because I'm nervous or I'm scared and, and, and I'm, I'm afraid to step into uh, what God has given to me for because it, it just makes me uncomfortable. And I shared this with the first service. There was something that happened Friday night, and... and and in that time, there was, I uh, feel the Lord had given me a word for something. And it just, it brought so much uncertainty and it brought so much fear to where I was like, God, I don't want to, I don't know if that's from you. And we start questioning, we start doubting to the place where we just say no. And I was sitting there, I was like, Lord, where does this fear come from? Because fear is not the root. Fear is an overarching emotion that has something rooted that is deep down in that. So i began to say, Holy Spirit, what is the root of this fear that I feel about this? And the Holy Spirit kind of began to take me down into this place. He said, You're afraid to feel sound or look stupid. Like a fear of mine deep down inside is that God, if you are leading me or prompting me or sending me somewhere, if I happen to be wrong, I'm just afraid to look dumb. Like if I do something and the emotion is I just feel stupid for that, then it paralyzes me. And so I brought that to the Holy Spirit and just began to pray like, Lord, take away from me then the fear of feeling dumb in these moments of trying to trust you. Help me to grow in the ability to know that if I'm wrong and if I fall, praise God I'm not falling far because you're behind me. And I think for some of us that, yes, there's this very real uh, sense of this. The enemy wants to keep you in a place of fear and bondage so that you're inactive. But realizing that if we begin to walk and we begin to take steps of faith, we're going to realize very easily, like you did to learn, like you learned at one point, what chairs to sit down in and what chairs you weren't supposed to sit down in. Right? I can look at a chair and think, structurally, they look somewhat similar, but I can see that one's missing a leg. I'm not going to sit in that one. How did you learn that? Because as a kid, you probably sat in some chairs that fell apart. And so realizing that, yes, there, there is this uh, nervousness at times. Says, I, I take the fear from you so I can take a step. And in taking the step, if I'm right, then I learned that, okay, that was God's voice. And if I'm wrong, I can realize, okay, maybe that wasn't his voice, so it moves me to this side a little bit more. And then, Lord, is that from you? And I'm going to take a step and realize, no, that was your voice again. And so it moves me closer in this direction. And each step of faith that we take without this fear of failure, we begin to move closer and closer and closer in this place of knowing, I know exactly what the shepherd's voice sounds like. I know exactly who it is when he says to go or when he tells me to give this word to somebody or when he tells me to go lay hands to see healing take place. I know exactly whose voice that is. And in Matthew 4, we see in the message version, Matthew four nineteen, Jesus, he's calling his disciples. And he looks at them and he says, come with me and I will make you a new kind of fisherman out of you. I will show you how to catch men and women instead of perch. And Baz, another way to to say it is that come, follow me, and I will make you to become. And realizing that when Jesus called his disciples, when Jesus calls us to himself, he doesn't say, hey, come, follow me. Let me tell you who you are, and now I send you to go figure it out on your own. He says, no, come, come, follow me. Let me make you into being who I've created you to be. Come follow me, and I will make you to become the one I've gifted to be generous. Come follow me, and I will make you in to be one who is hospitable. Come follow me, and I will give you the courage. When, when I speak a word for you to for somebody else, I will give you the courage to go and speak that prophetic word come follow me and I will make you into be one who has the power to lay hands and to pray for healing, to see miraculous things take place. He says, come follow me. I'm not going to leave you alone. I know you're afraid. I know that that, that what I'm trying to teach you, what I'm trying to give you is so opposite to what the world says. Jace Raby, he's a part of our body. We've talked for Uh, a year or so about this, is that God's natural is the supernatural. And so when maybe God is leading us into something that doesn't make sense in our finite minds, and our natural view of how things should be, if it seems so extraordinary or so supernatural, we have the tendency to want to shut it down and say, no, God, I can't be from you. And we forget that God's natural is supernatural. It's to want to see powerful, mighty, miraculous things take place in his body. He wants to utilize the gifts that he has given you to see the church have impact in your community. And so we think, gosh, I'm nervous. I don't know if that's from you. Jesus' invitation says, just come, come follow me though. I'm not expecting you to know how to do every bit of every part right off the rip, but come follow me so that I can make you to become who I've created you to be. Man, if you guys want to head this way. When we receive that invitation to come and follow Jesus so that he can make us to become, it takes all the pressure off me to try to perform and to try to be something I'm not. If God has gifted you as one of generosity and serving, man, maybe you just have to release the freedom to know that. I don't have to try to be anybody else. I know who God has called me and created me to be. And again, the invitation this week is to begin to discover that more and more. And when we step into that, we realize that Jesus then takes the pressure off of us having to figure out how to do it. He says, I want to make you to become. And when we see... A people, a body of followers of Jesus that are joined together in community, that are joined together as one, that seek the, the, the best interest and the desires of one another, and we begin to walk in the giftings and in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That is when we will see the gates of hell rattling in fear because Satan is terrified that his weak dominion and little empire that he's trying to build here is being threatened because God's people are on the and God's people are fully equipped with the Spirit, and God's people are not afraid to go forth in their community and be difference makers and wreak havoc on His little kingdom because we have ultimately won. We are stepping forth into the power of Jesus, and when that takes place, guys, there are marvelous and miraculous things that could take place in your marriage and as parents and in your place of work and in this church. Uh, Myself along with others, I'll say this last thing and we'll pray. We have been praying earnestly for months and months and months that us as a people, as a body of Christ, when we walk into here, That there would be like this supernatural force field outside that forces the chains and the bondage of religion and fear and passivity and all these things to fall and be laid out in that courtyard. And when we step into this place, that there would be this undignified desire and passion for the spirit to stir and to move and to have his being in here. That this would be a place to where we see prophetic words given, where we see people laying hands and healings take place. And we are a generous people. We're taking care of the orphans. We're taking care of those who are fostering. We're taking care of the needs of people. When a student says that I'm homeless, we say, gosh, come live with me. You, You can have a home with me. We have been begging that this place would be filled with those kind of people. And that it wouldn't just be a Sunday morning from a 1045 to a noon, but that you would get so soaked up and absorbed with the Spirit here that when you leave and you go into your community and into your world or into your house churches, that that Jesus would just begin to seep out of you everywhere that you go. Just desperately praying, Holy Spirit, will you break us free from fear? Will you show us who we are? What is the name in the heavenly realms when you speak of me as a son or a daughter? Who do you call me? What is that unique name that is special to me and what is the part of the body that you're calling me to play in and that we would walk in confidence saying, I know exactly my role. And I'm going to use it because I want to see it in Monroe as it is in heaven. I want to see it in my family as it is in heaven. I want to see it in my place of work as it is in heaven. God, I don't want to just pray that you will align yourself with me and what I think should take place. I want to align myself with you and what you're doing and your kingdom established here. I want to have your eyes. I want to be able to have your ears so that when people speak, I don't just hear their voice, but I hear the cries of their soul. I want to have your feet to courageously walk into the places that maybe are fearful or maybe seem uh, unreachable or maybe seem unattainable. Give me your hands so that the work that I do would honor you and that that when I lay hands and when I pray on people, that the the power of the Spirit would roll through my hands and be used to to see restoration and healing take place. What would it look like if we were joined together in community, living fully into who the Spirit has called us to be? So we're going to move into a time of prayer and worship now. And we're going to have our prayer team, once, uh, once we enter into worship, kind of standing here in the front. Because I think there's three groups of people that we can find ourselves in this morning. One of which may be, I have never, never surrendered to Jesus. I want to know, I want to know so deeply the experience of having the Holy Spirit live inside of me. That that Benji, this this power and this ability and this intimacy that that you're talking about. I've never felt anything like that and I want to decide today to follow Jesus and surrender and repent and start a new life with him. Our prayer team will be up here. Maybe one that says, gosh, I I want to know who I am. I want to know the giftings. I want to know who you've called me to be. Our prayer team would love to just lay hands on you and to pray over you and, and petition the Father to help show you who he's called you to be. Again, you're going to walk with your rooted group over the next week or so to discover that even more. There's these little tests and these little things that, that, that we've invited you into. Again, Peter's done just such a phenomenal job to say, man, how do, we, how do we join together in community and asking other people and doing these things to create the opportunity for us to discover who God's called us to be? I think the last person would be one that says, no, I know what God has called me to do. I know the place in the body he's called me step into but I'm just nervous to do it I'm scared I don't want to look dumb I don't want to sound silly I don't want to be made to look like a fool And let somebody lay hands on you to pray for just courage and freedom to just fall over you and drape over you like a blanket so that you would have complete confidence in who God's called you to be so that the manifestation of the Spirit could be given for the common good of all of us. Jesus, please, as we step into this time of worship, Holy Spirit, move, do whatever you want, stir within us. Lord, give courage to those who have maybe felt your presence and your touch for the first time today to say, I want to I want to walk with you, Jesus, I want to surrender to you. And if that's you even right now to say, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus, just spend time telling the Lord, God, I know that I've lived my life apart from you. I recognize that there is something different in the life of following Jesus from the life that I'm living now, and I want it. Jesus, forgive me. I repent, which means I'm turning away from my life to start following you. Will you forgive me? I receive, Jesus, your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Will you fill me with your spirit now? And God, I pray that you would help us who are seeking to discover to know the name that you call us and who we are, who you've gifted us to be and those who seem to to, to have an idea of what you're calling us, God. Will you give us courage to walk in freedom and in power? Holy Spirit, lead this time worship now, in Jesus' name.